Hi, everybody. I'm Sess Busby, editor of Flying Solo. Welcome to our weekly podcast where we step inside the minds and lives of soloists and small business owners. Today's guest is Olivia Jenkins. Olivia specializes in advising businesses within the beauty, health and fashion industries on all things strategy and marketing. She's passionate about e-commerce and has over a decade of experience in helping brands find their feet, whether it's from social selling or how to nurture their customers. Her client list reads like a who's who of the wellness and beauty space, and she's here today to share some great advice on how to kick off your e-commerce marketing with a bang. Hi, Olivia. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Now, I am wondering, where did this marketing bug come from? What, what sparked your interest in the first place? I think for me, I have been passionate about business and marketing since I was a toddler even. I grew up in a family business, so my mother actually started a skincare brand when I was 18 months old. So she was still actually breastfeeding me at the time that she started this business. And so I was essentially attached to her hip as she was building her brand. Mm -hmm. And that obviously continued right the way through into my early and late teens where I started working in her business. So it's safe to say that marketing is in my DNA, I think, at this point. So what else do you think you learned from that time, you know, on the hip of your mum in a small business? Yeah, I think for me, one of the biggest things was just the journey itself. And obviously with every business journey, there are ups and downs and there are moments where things are going great and there are moments when maybe things aren't going so great. And just the tenacity that's required to start a business and grow it, but also to manage it ongoing and to find the energy within yourself and to keep that wind in yourselves to keep you motivated, to keep moving forwards. Um, I also learned a lot about having different personality types and different people within the business. So there are a lot of times throughout the years where um, the business attracted a lot of investors that wanted to buy into the business and that type of thing, which is also quite interesting because I think this is something that happens a lot with any brand sort of in that beauty, fashion, lifestyle space. They often have really good margins and that's quite attractive um, for investors. So there's a lot of, uh, I guess, interest in those types of businesses and sometimes the interest is is not always great. So I learned a lot about different personality types and um, having different people that are, are interested, let's say. <laughs> Made you a good judge of character, do you think? Very much so. In fact, I remember my mother would bring me to meetings for that very reason because obviously kids generally have a sixth sense in that they can size someone up pretty quickly and work out whether they have good intentions or bad intentions. And I do remember that being a key strategy for mum also to bring me along to some of these meetings. So was there ever a plan that you would go into your mum's business or was it always you were going to go out and make a mark for yourself and go into business for yourself? Look, I think it's every child's dream to grow up in a skincare brand as a young child and look up to their mother figure who is this successful powerhouse who single-handedly created this amazing business. And that was always a vision of mine. I think the reality is I am also a very driven, independent woman in my own right now. And I think for me, going into the business in my late teens was the perfect grounding for me, an apprenticeship, if you will, um, into all things business. And I learned so much during my time there. 
Uh, however, also at that point in time, you know, mum was also quite young and still is. So she wasn't ready to completely, you know, step away from the business and the brand that she'd built. And I also wanted to go out and experience some other businesses and have different experiences because one thing that I found going into a family business is that you have to work 10 times harder than anybody else that's in that business because you are under the magnifying glass every single day of the week. So I I just reached a point, I guess, in the business where I'd learned a lot. I knew not a lot about the industry that we operated in. I'd obviously, you know, despite the fact I'd only been in the business for say five years, I'd also had my whole entire life of experiences in that business as well. Whilst I may not have been working there on a daily basis, I was very much across things that were going on because I'd spent all my school holidays there and I'd have conversations with mum. So it felt natural for me to carve my own path. And for me, I'm really passionate about service. And so that was ultimately uh, the space that I wanted to go into in the long term. Hmm. So what about your master's in marketing? When did you decide that's, that's the route that you wanted to go? It was shortly after leaving my mother's business that I decided I wanted to pursue some type of further education to really expand my knowledge theoretically in the space that I'd been operating in for a long time. So the MBA was the perfect pathway for me and I really learned so much from that opportunity and from dedicating myself to that. It was extremely challenging because I also fell pregnant about six months into accepting a new position in a different business as a general manager. And at that time, I was also about three or four months into my MBA. So I was studying, you know, during pregnancy and beyond. So once I had the baby, I was also going to exams and things on very little sleep and uh, still working at that point in time as well. So it was it was a big challenge, but it was one of the best things that I've done. And I really place a lot of value on that education in my career. My partner did her master's in marketing when she was pregnant as well. So I have a yeah. bit of an idea of what you were going through. It's not for the faint hearted and you definitely have no social life for the entire duration of the MBA. And if you ask my husband, he will say I was the grumpiest person in South Australia for the duration of that study as well, because you are just stretched to your absolute limits in terms of the amount of information that you're cramming into your brain. So it was a good experience, but it was definitely challenging. Mm. But now you bring all of those lessons that you've learned, both from that experience working with your mum and everything that you learned from doing the MBA to other businesses. So can you tell me a bit about your consulting? Yes. So I decided about three years ago that I wanted to expand into consulting. So when I really reflected on my career at that point in time and what I wanted to do next, I knew that I always wanted to have my own business. And I guess I had two pathways I could have taken at that fork in the road. One pathway would have been to perhaps launch my own brand and have a product-based business that I was obviously very familiar with based on my previous work experiences and, and the business that I grew up in. Or I could have taken the pathway of going into service and providing consulting services to brands like I had done my entire career, sort of uh, similar to an outsourced general manager or, or something of that capacity. So 
when I reflected on those two pathways and I really thought about what I was most passionate about, I decided to take the second pathway into service and become a consultant specializing in business and marketing consulting for fashion, beauty and lifestyle brands, but with a particular focus on e-commerce. And that's when the business idea came about and I decided to launch into that. Uh, It was actually the 1st of July, 2019 that I started. So it'll be three years uh, in not too long at all, in a few days time. So that's been an amazing milestone for me to have three years of consulting experience where I've, I've consulted to some of the best brands in Australia and really helped to drive their growth plans. E-commerce um, has just taken off so exponentially since the pandemic. And I think if a business doesn't have a strategy around e-commerce, they really need to these days. So what would your, your tips be for a small business owner that has not yet embraced um, online or e-commerce? Look, I think if you're an established business and you haven't yet branched out into e-commerce and it makes sense for you to do so with your pricing structure and everything else you've got going on, then absolutely. It's, It's not too late. You can still jump on board and build businesses. And, you know, a perfect example, I was looking at some stats recently because I was applying for a few awards and finalizing some applications for those. And it really helps to stop the clock and look at how far some of these brands have come since working with me over the past, say, one to two years. It is possible to still participate now and have a really good result. Obviously, there are a lot of brands who are a lot further down the garden path with their e-commerce plans, and they are obviously doing very well. Some not so well because they might not have the best plans and strategies in place, but there's definitely an opportunity for you to capture some of this success that other brands are having. And in terms of new e-commerce brands, if you're thinking about launching into this space, of course, I'm very passionate about e-commerce. So I I love to back startups who are embracing e-commerce for the first time. I think one of the most important things going into it, though, is to really make sure that you have that commitment and that you've made the decision that it will be successful because, again, it is not a pathway for the faint-hearted there are low barriers to enter the e-commerce space and it, it requires a lot of tenacity to put the daily effort in that's required to really get a brand off the ground. So let's talk about those daily efforts. What are some of the things that business owners should be doing to make sure their brand is front and centre in a consumer's mind? Sure. So in the early stages, you really want to focus on spending 80 to 90% of your time on growth activities. So anything that's going to help get your brand in front of your consumer. So whether that is social media, email marketing, looking at ideas to collaborate with other brands so that you can lean into each other's audiences, advertising, even if it means, you know, if you have a startup skincare brand and you're looking to push that product, if you need to get out into a couple of markets in the beginning and actually go that way to get some exposure, you need to do everything and anything that's required to get your brand in front of more people. So I think there is this misconception that when you start an e-commerce brand, you put together a website, you order your products and your packaging and you take some lovely, beautiful photos and you pop them up on the website and the sales will start rolling in. And unfortunately, that's not how it works. And there is a lot of effort that's required to build that audience so that you have a platform of people that are engaged in your brand and ready to make a purchase. 
Um, and a lot of the time that takes a lot of effort and sometimes a considerable amount of time as well to build that trust and make sure that you've built those relationships uh, to encourage that, that customer to come back and, and make a conversion on your store. So when you're talking about um, leveraging partnerships as well, how do business owners find the right other businesses or other mm. brands to connect with? What should they be I think one of the first things is to make sure that they're collaborative. So you obviously don't want to go out and, you know, necessarily partner with a direct competitor. That would be a little bit awkward, of course, but you might be able to, let's say it's a, a fashion uh, label that you are, are launching, you might be able to collaborate with someone who does shoes or makeup or something that's complementary to the product or the, the offering that you have. And to really utilize each other in that situation to maximize your effort. So for example, at the moment, some of my clients are currently doing collaborations where we're building email lists. So what we're doing at the moment is each brand. So my client and the collaborative brand would put forward some type of gift, whether that's product or a gift voucher to be redeemed online. So let's say both brands contribute a $250 voucher to make a $500 prize. We're running Facebook ads for a lead generation objective to build emails in which both the brands will benefit from the emails at the end of that competition. So uh, the brand that's collaborating with my client would also be putting forward a certain amount of ad spend per day to go towards the objective of lead generation on Facebook ads. And that would be a really good way of teaming up with another brand to maximize your efforts and get more exposure and supercharge the results, so to speak, of what you're doing. Mm. What about your own channels? Because there's a danger, I guess, with um, not having your own media channels. Yes, as in social media. Yeah, because it well, like I'm just thinking how Facebook switched off all those businesses mm. 18 months ago, and then no one could could yes. <laughs> access their. <laughs> There. That's exactly right. And, and I mean, this is why you need to really focus on, on list building as the objective, which is why I absolutely love this, this idea that we're executing for clients at the moment, because it focuses on using Facebook ads to drive list growth. So email list growth, as opposed to perhaps just focusing on brand awareness or on reach or potentially even on conversions, which are great. But for most startups, conversion ads straight off the bat may not always be successful. So it's really about building that audience to get people to the store. Um, so hopefully they sign up with their email address and you can continue to have them on your database to talk to regularly, to nurture and to let them know of all of your amazing product launches and things that are coming up in terms of promotions. So it's very important to build your email list and very important as well to focus on SMS as well. If that is something that suits your brand, um, then that's definitely another area that you would be focusing on at the moment to continue to build mobile numbers. Because SMS has really great um, response rate from consumers, doesn't it? Yes. Yes, it does. I think people have a lot of inbox overwhelm, particularly at those key times per year, you know, sort of your click frenzies and click mayhem and Black Friday, Cyber Monday, all of those big retail events, you, you go into your inbox and it's just you're flooded with promotions from brands because 90% of brands would be sending out emails at that time. So there's a lot of overwhelm, whereas I find with mobile 
we tend to clear out our text message notifications quite regularly. If you speak to my husband, he does not. And it is very stressful for me to see so many, so, so many unread text messages. But <laughs> most of us like to clear our text messages out. And so even if you're not necessarily responding to that text in terms of, you know, going to the website and looking at the offer, it's still a touch point and it's still something that your customer has seen your brand name or your offer so that when they do go on Facebook later that day or when they do get into their emails later that day, it's the sum of all the parts because they've then been contacted on various platforms instead of just one, relying on one avenue, which is another mistake that I see a lot of brands making where they're purely relying on, say, social media or Instagram as their marketing plan or as their promotional calendar of where they execute things and it's just not enough. And you mentioned those big sales seasons, um, you know, the Black Friday click frenzy, which we've just had. Um, what would you be recommending that businesses take part in them? I believe it's good for you to participate in some of these activities. You may not necessarily have to participate in all of them. And I think there is some concern around eroding brand equity. If you're continually discounting and you're continually participating in every single sale, then you know there could be six to eight throughout the course of the year. So are you training your customers to wait bi-monthly for you to be on sale and only shop during promotional periods? So I think you need to be a little bit cautious not to overdo it, but definitely you need to show up and participate in some of these events and and figure out which ones are right for you in terms of timing so that you can be competitive amongst what every other brand is doing because it is also about market share and we don't want to lose some consumers to another brand if someone else is on sale and we haven't got them, haven't got their loyalty um, locked in and price is an issue. Mm. What do you think are the biggest contributors to developing customer loyalty? I think staying close to your customer. I I see out of the clients that I look after and I'm currently consulting for, I, you know, work with my clients very closely and and majority of them very long term. So I see some common themes in terms of the ones that do really well with their customer loyalty. And I, I have a saying that sometimes you just need to get things out and not necessarily focus on them being perfect. And I think there is this fear sometimes that everything has to be pristine and so polished to get out communication. But sometimes what's really important is just the authentic, the authenticity and the connection with the customer being really close so that you're having these conversations potentially with your clients in Instagram messages, in Facebook comments. If you're, you know, you're reaching out to your customers to ask for feedback, have the CEO's personal email address there and say, reply to this email if you've got any feedback for me. They're the things that really start to say to a consumer, okay, I'm valued here. This brand cares about me. They care about my pain points and how I feel about things. And they're looking to me for feedback. I think that's really important. And to be front and center and having those conversations. The other thing that we regularly do for clients as well is also encourage VIP customers to be nurtured. So we regularly look at who are the big spenders on the store? Who are the customers that have ordered from us numerous times? Do we send them a card and a small gift every three or six months to say, hey, thanks so much for supporting the brand. 
We recognize that you're a loyal VIP customer. Here is a gift on us. We're absolutely thrilled to have you here and thanks for all of your all of your support, you know, love from the CEO. I think they're the things that customers don't expect and when they get them, it's a really big deal and they feel incredibly valued. Yeah, the unexpected gift, it's, it's always a winner, isn't it? Yes, definitely. And I think as well, because everything is so digital, everything, you know, is an automation or, beha- you know, based on behaviour that when a brand does something a little bit different, like writing a handwritten card, putting something in the post that's delivered by snail mail. That is a big deal because we're so used to getting things via email or via text even. Mm. And you briefly touched on authenticity. How can business owners make sure that they're showing up as their authentic self so that they can develop that rapport with their, their customers? I think the first step is knowing who you are. I think we would struggle to be authentic if we didn't actually know what we stood for, but equally what we don't stand for as well. And being really clear and communicating that through all of the touch points on the brand, through website copy, through social media captions, through anything that you are pushing out there so that you're clear on who you are and and as well, your customer's clear on who you are. I think the other important thing as well is not to compare too much to what other brands are doing. I think when you are very hyper-focused on what you're doing and looking after your own patch of grass, that's when I see brands being most authentic because they're not seeking inspiration from other brands that are too local. And because Australia is obviously a small place in comparison to, say, somewhere like the States, we do need to be mindful that there are, yes, we have a lot of competition here for these industries, However, we don't want to look for inspiration from our competitors too much because it is far too close here in Australia and we could potentially come off as though we're copying another brand. Hmm. What about TikTok? How important is it for business owners to be getting onto TikTok these days? Yes, TikTok. This has been a huge topic of conversation with clients in the past six months I am a big fan of TikTok. I think that it's a very untapped platform still even today. It absolutely blew my mind when I learned that TikTok has actually surpassed Google in terms of touch points and impressions and page visits. So there is more activity on TikTok than there is on Google, the search engine, which is just mind-boggling when you think about that and, and take a step back to really process what that means. So... Obviously, when TikTok first rose uh, to popularity, we had the conception that I guess that it was a, a platform for very young people. which yeah, is Dancing kids. Exactly, because it was musically originally and it, and it got bought out and obviously has, has turned into TikTok. So I understand and I'm 30, so I'm not in the demographic. I'm more of an Instagram and Facebook girl. And obviously, when I first started using social media, it was technically MSN and then MySpace. So I even at 30, I'm not technically in the correct demographic that is fully familiar with TikTok. However, what I do know is that the consumer is aging and clearly this platform is not going anywhere anytime soon. It is more popular than Google at this stage. So I think if you're not on TikTok and you have, if you have a business that's in health, beauty, fashion, lifestyle, and your demographic is, say, anywhere from 25 to 50, you still need to be on this platform, even if your consumer is 
potentially too young there right now because there are a lot of people that are turning to that platform and I can tell you it is a black hole. You get on TikTok and you cannot get off it. It just sucks you in. So people are spending a lot of time there and putting a lot of effort into that platform. And if you have consumers that may be too young right now, they are aging. And so eventually they will fall into your demographic and you want to be ready for that and make sure that you're there building that platform so that you're not too late. How many um, times should people be on TikTok? Like how, how often should they be posting? Yes, there's a lot of mixed feedback about this. And I've done a lot of research on TikTok as a platform in the past six months for clients and for the purpose of wanting to advise them as best as I possibly can. My thought process around TikTok is you want quality content. You want to think about the brand that you have, the type of content that would be, I guess, relatable for your consumers and then start spending the time to show up there. If you can spend the first 30 days of being on that platform posting once per day, good. If you can do twice per day, great. If you can do up to four times per day, amazing benchmark. The reality is you may not have the resources available. You may not have the time to do four a day, but if you can at least focus in the first 30 days on doing one TikTok per day, that would be a really good place to start. And then based on the videos that you've posted, really looking at the insights for those posts and work out what resonated, what didn't. And when you're looking at those um, those stats as well, have a think about the, the days and the times that you posted, the type of content that you posted, the number of seconds as well that the content is because there's a big trend at the moment for five-second videos. So really have a look at a few different angles and try and work out what content is working best and look to replicate that content. That is essentially what TikTok is about. And if you have a look at some of the movers and shakers on the platform, they tend to have one video that may have gone viral that's on a particular topic and they keep repeating that video in lots of different ways, but it's essentially maybe even the same audio that's being used several times or a similar concept that's being used again and again and again. So you just need to find that winning formula that will work for your brand. And music, music seems to be really important on TikTok as well. Yes, absolutely. Trending audio, TikTok is all about trends. So, and they move all the time. This is why I have said to clients, if you don't have a Gen Z in your business, hire one. If you can afford to do so and you have the budget there, get someone who is familiar and who has grown up with this platform in your business to help you identify the trends if you don't have time to spend on the platform yourself to work that out. And they can certainly give you some indication around what is trending in terms of audio and also in terms of content as well. And a five second video, what could that be? There are so many different options for this. I've honestly seen anything from a selfie in the mirror for five seconds with a motivational quote over it to, you know, some <laughs> transitions of of product. You know, there's a lot of end of financial year sales happening in the moment. So it could just be products being exchanged from hand to hand in your business and a different product each time. So the, the world is your oyster. The thing with TikTok is you're not meant to take it too seriously. You know, this is not a platform where you would spend hours, you know, finessing the content and making sure everything's perfect because I could pretty much put my life on the fact that the videos that you spend the most amount of time editing are probably the ones that will do uh, the lowest performance and the ones that you've literally just slapped together and put a trending audio over and not being overly careful about the way that it's edited are likely the ones that are going to go viral because 
TikTok is not a place for highly curated, high-end, you know, professional videography type content. It's meant to be very raw, authentic content. So the platform is, I, I believe, rewarding content that's more authentic and is fast content. And since so many business owners have yet to embrace the platform, there's a real opportunity there, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. There's still so much opportunity. And I think even if you just think about the fact that TikTok has surpassed Google, that tells you how many people are actually using this platform all the time. So there is a huge opportunity there to capitalize on the amount of users that are on that platform. I think it's doubled. It, I know it doubled its worldwide user base between 2019 and 2021. I'm not 100% sure what it's at as at today, but I know that we're talking about by 2025, they believe that TikTok will have 1 billion users. Wow. That's 1 billion eyeballs for your business. <laughs> exactly. So much opportunity. Um, now let's talk business plan. Um, how important is it for a business to have a, a business plan and look and stick to it or modify it? I'm a big fan of having a business plan. I encourage all my clients to have a business plan at startup. I work with a lot of startup through strategy sessions and it's a big part of what I do. I believe it can be edited. Of course, when you're starting your business, there are things that you might think will go a certain way that when you get stuck into it, you realize they're not going to go that way. So I think strategy in general is an ever-moving compass and I think if it's not an ever-moving compass then we might need to revisit the strategy because a lot of the time, especially in the industries I consult for, it is moving at light speed and there are changes all the time so we must adapt and pivot accordingly. Um, Putting together a business plan is a very good thing to do and I think one of the reasons for that is once you get into the swing of things, things might come up and situations might arise that if you've prepared for that in your business plan and you already have a plan, a mini plan on how you're going to deal with each of those situations, when you get to it and you're in the peak stress of that moment, you've actually got something to refer back to that you've already put the thought process into when you're not in a state of fight or flight. And I also think it's important as well just around the discipline side because discipline is a huge thing for business owners at startup and some business owners are really good at that discipline and doing what is required every day and others maybe not so good they might have a shorter attention span or just not have the level of commitment or tenacity that's required in the early stages so I think it's really good to have that business plan to stop think about things make sure you have your pricing correctly so for example if what you decide that you want to go into B2B and B2C, then make sure that you have enough fat in your pricing to be able to support going to wholesale and selling there. Because if you price yourself too low, you may not actually have the margin there to, to move towards B2B once you've launched. So all of those things need to be pre-decided. Is that one of the most common errors, um, not pricing correctly? Definitely. Not so much for that example, but more so for not having enough margin to survive because I I sometimes feel that business owners going into this space may not realize how expensive it is to run an e-commerce business. There is a lot of investment that needs to be made. And if you're bootstrapping it and you don't come into that launch phase with a lot of working capital, capital, it can be difficult 
to be able to afford, you know, the Facebook advertising, the Instagram advertising, the subscriptions, which is huge. You know, there's subscriptions for everything. Zero, Canva, if you've got a premium Canva account, there's, you know, email marketing subscriptions, there's social media scheduling apps, there's apps on your phone that you need to make content. It's just never ending subscriptions. So if you don't have a decent amount of margin in your pricing at launch stage, it's unlikely that you'll survive because by the time you factor in the cost of pick packing orders, the cost of postage and all of the other things for marketing the business and just general overheads, a lot of the time there's just not enough um, profit there to be able to support the business long-term and be aggressive with the marketing as well, which is what's required. What's your number one marketing tip for a small business owner? My number one marketing tip particularly for startups, is to make sure that everything that you're doing, again, 80 to 90% of your time is focused on growth. So yes, you want to get your back end right and you want to make sure that your pricing's correct and you're operationally set up correctly and all of that. But the most important thing to grow a business from, from zero to say your first couple of hundred thousand dollars is to make sure that you're showing up regularly, you're building your community, you're active on social media, you're you're focusing on integrated marketing and pushing out your content and your offers across as many touch points as you possibly can and not just relying on one thing. Fantastic advice, Olivia. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Um, I look forward to seeing what you do next because you, you just are a powerhouse. Thank you. It's been so good to be here today and thanks for inviting me. My pleasure.